Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello and welcome to the Good Divorce Show. I'm your host, Karen McNenny. Very happy to have a guest with us today who brings a unique story to our marriage divorce renovation that we are working on across this country as we reach out to you, our listeners, who may not necessarily fit into the typical box of marriage and divorce. Lynn Compton, welcome to the show. Thank you. You are an out-of-the-box guest for us today (laughs) and really important because today we're going to talk about um, what it is to be a member of the LGBTQ community and navigating marriage that isn't legal, therefore divorce that isn't guided by the law. Now we have marriages that are legal. We want to be sure that we're talking to all of our brothers and sisters in the rainbow community who are also managing and navigating, you know, what is really challenging under even the very best of conditions. Now you, Lynn, give us a little background. You are an East Coaster transplant and you've got a couple, several marriages under your belt, actually. Can you just give us a few highlights so we know who we're talking to? I uh, was originally married in 1978 And this was one of my high school boyfriends, and we were together off and on for a long time. And then after about six years, we married, and I knew early on I probably shouldn't have tried to make it work with a man. You know, I don't think that this story is as unusual as we might expect. Run off with your high school sweetheart and get married. From that point forward, you began to identify and recognize that you belonged in a relationship with a woman. Yes. Well, it's it started uh, as a friend, and uh, sometimes those are the best relationships, I think. We met, and uh, I had actually moved back east after my divorce and decided I made a mistake, and I was going back to the great Rocky Mountain region. And at that point, our friendship uh, folded into uh, closeness, intimacy. And then we started cohabitating for the better part of 25 years, mostly in secret. Yeah, and that is a long, significant relationship. There was a house that was built between the two of you. There were dogs that were raised. (laughs) Yes. And... Can you just share a little bit more about the the secrecy of the relationship, why that was necessary, as well as how it impacted the relationship itself? Yes. And I think in the early 80s, it it was still, it was not a good time to be open, uh, depending on a lot of things, your community, where you worked and so forth. And um, she was actually in a contract with her employer uh, under sort of their moral code um, that she could be dismissed um, if she was in a homosexual relationship. So that really shoved us deep in the closet. And I acted accordingly. And it gave me a good thing to hide behind um, in terms of, well, we can't be out because of that. And so that was sort of the start of our secrecy. Mm -hmm. However, over the course of 25 years, there has (laughs) to be significant growth and transformation, not only in the relationship, but also amongst you as individuals. Yes, uh, I will say it was a great ride. I, we were quite different people. I was certainly more the extrovert. She was the introvert. I learned so much from her, Karen, that, um, you know, really the good parts of me today, a lot of that comes from what I learned in that relationship. So as we progress towards the end of our relationship, um, it was not a person that was easily dismissed. 
but uh, the years were not always smooth, of course. Um, I was questioning um, if I wanted to stay in that marriage for a number of years. Um, I think she always felt she would not be enough for me. That was always her mantra. And I would say that's not true. But I think in the end, that turned out to be so. Mm -hmm. And we discover these things at different points on the journey as we grow and transform individually. And some of those relationships have 10 years, 20 years, 60 years. And there is a wisdom in knowing when we're complete. And I use that word a lot. Like we've, we've come into this relationship, we've learned, we've grown, and we've arrived at a new threshold that says we're complete. I think it's worth chatting a little bit just about the culture in which you date and move through. I think there's a joke about lesbians dating that involves a U-Haul. How does that go? Remind us, Lynn. Oh, two dates and there's a U-Haul in the driveway. <laughs> you know, it's the second date. <laughs> you know, it's the second date. Yeah, I think, um, and depending on the size community, if you're in a more rural area versus more metropolitan, um, it's a little tougher maybe to be out. I think for both of us, we were respectable people. We were kind to people. We were never in people's face about uh, demanding to be accepted or those things that might sometimes create conflict um, with people who want to be accepted. So they really get in people's face and they're looking for uh, the equality or the acceptance. And I think the fact that we were kind and gentle with other people for the most part, then that's what we got back was more kind and gentle. So we were able, able to navigate um, our relationship in a mostly heterosexual world. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed just anecdotally, not based on any scientific research, but I feel like lesbians don't ever fully break up. They, their relationship might end, but the friendship often continues. Have you found that to be the case? Oh, totally. Yes. I, and this is just my opinion, but um, it seems that uh, for lesbians, I don't know if it's the same for gay men, but most lesbians that split up stay friends. There are some who don't, but I would say it's a very common thing. So we have sort of gone down that path. Do you have a theory as to why that's more common? Or maybe our listeners would even be more curious as to how do you do that? There is such a strong negative narrative in standard divorce and the heterosexual world for certain that if you're getting divorced, it means you now are enemies. Divide, conquer, lawyer up, destroy. And we're really trying to transform that narrative here on The Good Divorce Show. And I think we have something to learn from our lesbian sisters. How do you move beyond the pain, the hurt, and the grief to maintain the goodness and the love and potentially a friendship beyond the separation? For us, because we had a strong bond and a friendship, I think, ahead of our um, unofficial marriage, that it seemed more natural to continue to be in touch in some way. I think um, in the lesbian world, it kind of goes back to girlfriends. You know, I think girlfriends have a strong bond. And that might, that might be my surmise of, of why lesbian couples um, who detach maintain some kind of a relationship. Um, I have some heterosexual friends too um, that have divorced and um, are still friends in some, you know, some way, some form. Glad to hear you have some heterosexual friends. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, lots of those. <laughs> and those that are still getting along mm-hmm. and divorced, we will want to meet exactly. them here on the Good exactly. Divorce Show and hear their stories. I also wonder within the LGBTQ community, because it is somewhat insulated and smaller, that there's a protectiveness that we we can't start turning against each other. We have enough enemies outside of our community that keeping the peace, do you think that there's an overarching investment in supporting one another, propping each other up, maintaining relationships just because of the insular nature of the community and the culture? I would say that's true to some extent. And when I say some extent, the community is small. So if you want to burn bridges within your gay community, you might not have somewhere to go, if you will. I've also seen a lot of caustic behavior in the gay community, maybe some that don't have as good of coping skills or, um, but I've seen it go both ways. But I think the size of a community where people know each other and you're going to be running across each other all the time probably has an impact on somehow figuring out how to get along. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's really what we're trying to encourage here is for people to look beyond the pain and the grief into the longer arcing story of individuals that we have loved at different times and in different ways in our lives. As you reflect on this idea of, you know, I refer to this 25-year relationship that you're speaking of as a marriage and that you did indeed go through a divorce process. However, at the time, it wasn't even the law of the land that you could legally marry. And therefore, then you don't have, if you will, the the guardrails and the guidelines of the legal system or even lawyers. And I'm wondering how you speak about that, or if there was a sense of invisibility because the law doesn't even support the marriage, which of course has changed. Just a quick history lesson for our listeners. In 2004, Massachusetts was the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. Go Mass. And then in 2015, we had all 50 states, but it wasn't until just December of 2022 that President Biden signed into federal law, the same protections for same-sex marriage as others. So prior to these really important legal thresholds, is there a dynamic of invisibility or challenge that comes up within the LGBT community when the law doesn't even stand with you? I've I've thought a lot about that, not only in the LGBT community, but um, when it, when it has to do with say race, um, that you look for support and a common, a common ground with people. We all do that. We like to hang out with people with the same values, uh, people with same interests, maybe same sense of humor or, uh, you know, the bookworms versus the, uh, the workout people, not that we don't have both, but um, just looking for common ground. So certainly in your orientation in love, always looking for common ground and support. So I think that drives us together in a unique way, uh, which may be true of different races. Um, I have friends that are Eastern Indian, and they love to congregate and share their great foods and that same kind of thing. And I'm sure that they look for safe space as well. So um, coming out of a relationship, um, I believe there's all kinds of ways we look for support, whether it's through support of family members, friends, or the rest of our community. Well, we want to talk a little bit about the specific journey of untangling 25 years of cohabitating, shared property, 
dogs, and even community. So listeners, stay with us. And when we come back, Lynn Compton, again, uh, bringing a courageous and important voice to our conversation today as we talk about marriage and divorce in our LGBTQ community and how to navigate that, again, with less destruction, less divisiveness, and even less debt. Stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show. I'm Karen McNenny, your host. And today we're speaking with Lynn Compton out there in the Rocky Mountain West and really reaching out to all our brothers and sisters in the rainbow community as we consider not only the challenges of marriage and divorce inside the legal system for heterosexual couples, but over many decades uh, where some same-sex marriage was not legal. And yet there were many people across the country, across the globe, who were navigating a journey without legal guardrails. Lynn, as we move into what is often the most distressful part for people in the process, which is you have shared assets, you built a home together, there were dogs in your life together, uh, two professional women interweaving their life over 25 years, and now Mm -hmm. take us to the moment when you had to begin to unravel that fabric where were your guideposts? What was difficult? What was easy? Well, that's a story, Karen. So <laughs> they often are. Yes, that's a big story. To be most helpful to others, uh, bringing out some truths here. So it was my choice to go. I wanted to leave the home and simplify. Uh, we had a, a home on acreage. And she was not able to afford to stay in the home by herself. So the house was a big deal. Can I pause for just a moment, Lynn? I'm going to jump in to talk a little bit about sort of the psychology of the home. And I think there often is a debate. Do do we stay? Does one person stay? Do we sell it all? And, Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned you had a very clear desire to leave the home. What was behind that? Well, when you have a house with acreage, it's a lot of work. And it was time for me to um, enjoy more. I wanted to be doing more outdoor things and travel and and uh, be with family back east. 
So I needed to simplify. We loved our home. We built it together. I think she would have loved to have stayed there, but because she couldn't afford it, um, we knew that she'd be looking for a place as well. I, uh, the mortgage belonged to me. So it was just my name on the mortgage, which you would think that was easier. And it probably was paperwork wise, but I had a value for sharing that equity that we had built up in that home. And to me, that was fair because she had done a lot of work on the house, keeping the grounds up, um, put a lot into the house. So part of that was hers. And just because my name was on the mortgage didn't mean that she didn't, wasn't going to get any of the money. And I could have gone. Oh, go ahead. Uh, again, I just think that that is such a, a, a beautiful moment of recognition. And you talk about your value system. And so often in the pursuit of good divorce, we try to remind people, how can you bring the best version of yourself to this process? And although the marriage is ending, often the relationship is not. So when we look at the long arc and have positive intent and positive regard for each other, and I hear you saying legally on paper, the house is mine, the value is mine, but you know in your heart that here is a partner that I've loved and woven my life together for 25 years who has also invested in time, money, and resources, really to recognize that what if we approached divorce, not how can I get the most, but how can we come to agreements and settlements that support both of us as we move forward? Yes, that's big. And I'd like to throw out a term that I think has huge consequence for good detachments versus disastrous detachments. And that is respect. I feel like in a relationship, you know, everybody talks about love is the answer. And I think after time, if you don't respect your partner or i.e. you dislike them or distrust them, but you do not respect them, nothing else good comes along in the relationship. And I still had great respect for my partner. And I think she had respect for me um, in different ways, maybe. So the respect was the foundation for fair treatment because she deserved it. And I respected her. Mm. So from that came other decisions like, yeah, okay, we got to figure out what's the house going to sell for, how much are we going to make off of it, and are we splitting it down the middle? And that's the way we went. So she left with a pretty good chunk of change to get a house. So I could feel good about that. I wasn't like I was kicking her out in the street. Mm-hmm. And and that again, we f- we forget these stories have a very long arc, and I've heard it say said the past casts a long shadow Mm -hmm. and you just identifying I made decisions that I felt good about at the time and still feel good about to now uh, today. And I think if we're envisioning, can I look in the mirror? If I were to retell this story, would I feel like I wanted to change the facts so that I looked a little more shiny or Does the truth represent my value system and my love and respect for what was invested in this relationship? So that's, that's really beautiful. Tell us a little bit more about sort of the unraveling and the conversations um, that were happening. And at any point, did you think you were going to need legal support or was this a totally do it yourself, walk through the house, divide it up, paint the picture? I think we, both just wanted to get through it. And again, because of the respect, can we, can we get through it together and make the decisions? You know, we, I don't, we didn't think we needed a lawyer and we didn't want to spend the money. So that was, that was the route we went. Um, obviously again, we didn't have to 
do legal divorce paperwork. So it was a matter of unhitching the wagons and who was going to get what in their wagon. Um, It was painful. There was, it was a very painful time, a lot of painful days and nights, but uh, we lived in the house together for a while until my new lodging was available. And uh, it actually was, took a long time for the house to sell. I had two mortgages for probably six months, which was really tough. Um, but made it through that. So I think just making decisions along the way and the animals are a big thing. So I can't imagine people that have children and how they try to navigate that because the dogs were hard enough and turned out we were down to one dog. And the thing that kicked all of this off was when our last doggy died, I said, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how there are these occurrences uh, that come along in the timelines and you just know it's time to go. So we didn't have to contend with the dogs then. And we just went through our uh, physical property and um, any assets. I think we had both names on our cars. So we you know, took care of those titles and split that up. And went from there. Mm-hmm. When I hear you talk about the dogs, it, it is reminiscent of <laughs> our couples, straight and gay, who have children, who often are in the mantra of stay for the kids. We have to stay for the kids. We'll just wait for the kids to graduate. We'll wait for the kids to move away. We'll wait till the kids are married and on their own. Often we know our truth long before we speak it. Would you say that was true for you? Oh, yes. You speak the truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the emotional dynamics during that time, how would you describe that? Well, I think we kept our cool most of the time. Um, there were tears. There were times of anger and disappointment. We didn't have great displays of, you know, screaming at each other and someone throwing a chair. And uh, we didn't have that, that kind of picture going on. It was very tense, just working through it. Um, emotionally, I knew that, I mean, I think we both had a lot of heartbreak. I had the most guilt because I was the one that chose to leave. And I did worry about her and I wanted her mostly to get settled in a place. And I, she's the type that loves to live alone. So I thought she'll be all set there. Um, One day I got to tell you this quick story. Um, I was moving into a condominium. So everything's handled there, right? The, the lawn mowing, the sprinklers, the snow removal, you know, all of that's taken care of for you. And one day when I was taking some things out of the kitchen that I was going to take with me, she burst into tears and said, you're replacing me for condo fees. (laughs) And it was one of those things that would have made a good laugh in a sitcom, but of course was very tragic at the time. So And funny enough, I also left our family home and moved into a homeowner association where I would not have to mow the lawn or shovel the snow and there would just be more support and moving in to a house as the the single breadwinner, the single person who's in charge of chores and house maintenance. I think it is not unusual for those of us moving from a coupled life to an uncoupled life to look for simplicity and support. And it has served me well. How about you? Yes, I love it. I don't have to be home much, right? Very excited when the lawnmowers and the snow shovels show up and (laughs) they're not my responsibility on that day. I'm, I'm willing to write that check every month. Um, 
I was curious about the timeline. So more or less 25 years together from the moment of the decision and the conversation that we are moving out. You said there was time when you were living together and then you moved out. And then when you felt fully kind of emancipated and unraveled, I think this often is longer than people anticipate it being. And there's lots of residue that can linger. I'm, I'm thinking about it in terms of others that have gone through it that had a lot more lingering uh, and, and possibly because they're co-parenting children still. But, you know, I, it was probably a couple of years before we divorced when, you know, things were not going well and I was thinking of leaving. So that, that was a, a journey in and of itself. And then after... I moved out and she moved out and the house was gone and the things were separated, the material things. Then it was kind of like a breath of fresh air. You could give yourself permission. I tried to give myself permission to begin moving forward in a positive way instead of sort of wallowing in the pain and grief of the separation. And I think she was anxious to get on with her life. And she dove into her new place and her gardening and her freedom to go do whatever hobbies. And I think the physical um, separation, all of the things that the material piece um, holds you for a while. And I hope people will give themselves permission once that's done and we have moved um, to begin to be kind and easy on yourself and look for the positive. Mm, that is a giving of permission of self. And sometimes we don't even feel like we're deserving of the goodness that can come on the other side of divorce, that we should have joy, that we should have right that guilt. And it's different for the person who leaves and the person who's left. There are two different divorce experiences happening. Did you find that to be true in your case as well? Yeah, very much. Mm -hmm. How so? If you're the one that I guess would be in control, mm. and I use that term loosely right. in this process, but you're in control, you've made the decision, you're, you feel like the bad guy, um, you're, you're navigating that kind of journey. And the person who was left um, may be feeling more of the, the victim, the poor me. It may be more anger at the person who's now upset the apple cart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Often there's two marriages happening and mm -hmm. there are also two divorces happening and they are not necessarily the same experience. When we come back from our break, I'd like to hear about, and I'm sure our listeners as well, we want to hear about what became of this long-term friendship, relationship, partnership. As a front-end teaser, I know that your partner shortly after your separation was diagnosed with cancer. And the story continues with how you supported her through that, how she received that support, and how there is big headlines in life that, if you will, eclipse and supersede the pain and the hurt and the separation of a single moment in time. When we come back, we'll hear about after the divorce. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey before, during, and after. 
It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It is time to change the negative narrative of divorce. Families are hungry for a different option. Listen to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. You will discover how to function as one family living in two homes. There are high-functioning, stable, and happy divorce families living in your neighborhood. What's their secret sauce? What did their journey look like? Do they have regrets or recommendations? Let's find out. It's never too late to have a good divorce. The Good Divorce Show, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show. I'm Karen McNinney, your host, chatting today with Lynn Compton who made her way from a straight heterosexual marriage in her 20s only to realize she was not only in the wrong marriage, she was in the wrong pond, moved on to a 25-year relationship with her same-sex partner that ended uh, in divorce, but kind of an invisible divorce. And I'm just curious, Lynn, what it's like when you're in a population that already is somewhat closeted or invisible, it's kind of like having a pet that passed away, but nobody knows you even had a pet to begin with. So how do we show up and support you? So one of the difficulties seems to be who's going to be friends with who. And I remember that in my first marriage and uh, all of our friends were with us as a couple. And many of the friends decided to side with him. Mm. So that was something I was looking toward was, first of all, the sadness of loss of some friends, but finding new friends. This relationship, uh, my 25-year unofficial marriage to a woman, because she was kind of the introvert, she was doing things on her own a lot and had Um, just a few friends and acquaintances and strong family ties. And I had a large circle of friends, my sporting buddies, my kayak buddies, uh, my vacation friends, which sometimes I vacationed with them and not my partner. So for us, that was maybe not as difficult. There's that moment once you're separated We'll just say the deal is done. You're in your two homes. You're going about your individual life. And chances are, particularly those of us that live in more rural settings, we're going to bump into that (laughs) former partner or we're going to bump into the mutual friends. I'm curious how things unfolded and whether it was intentional or accidental as the two of you found each other post-divorce. Well, it's funny you bring that up, Karen, because... Even though we separated pretty amicably, although painfully. As is often the case, I just want to remind people, (laughs) even as we talk about these amicable, good divorces where people have found peace and respect, it, it does not come without pain. There is a death happening. There is a grief process taking place. Yes, yes. You, you highlight an important point. Even so, I, I was nervous about running into her because initially it's like, 
well, what do you say and how do you act and how long do you talk to them? And is there anything to talk about? Do you see them in the aisle at the grocery store and run the other way? And I might have done that <laughs> in the beginning. After a period of time passed, it's like, hey, you want to have coffee and ketchup? Let me know about your new house. So I guess it was rekindling a old time friendship. So one time I got a phone call from her. She was out in the forest and had been hiking and her car wouldn't start and no one's there. Fortunately, she had cell service. Well, she called me about six in the morning and said, can you come and get me? That, that was an interesting experience and opened doors for us to uh, maybe say, hey, you want to have dinner? And how long after sort of finalized separation was that rescue phone call? Months, that was, years? It was probably a year. And again, as you mentioned, more introverted, maybe a smaller circle of support and friends reaches out to you, help with house sitting, my car is dead. Did you, you referenced that you didn't feel burdened or upset or put off by that, but there was almost a softening that she would still reach out to you in a sense that she would trust that you would still show up for her. Yes. And, and I think there were a number of things that occurred over the years that we kind of saw there was still some trust between, because I think you don't feel the trust in the beginning, mm-hmm. but but our deeper history, I think, showed its face and some trust showed its face. Mm, the deeper history, it's <laughs> still in there. <laughs> I don't know how many years ago it was now, but your partner had a cancer diagnosis. How did you weave in and out of that part of the story post-divorce? Yes, this was several years later. She did call me and tell me that... Uh, she had a surprising cancer diagnosis that was found pretty early. She had some surgery. And of course, I was happy to show up for whatever she needed. Now, she's not a person that likes to accept help. She's very independent. So I'd throw it out there and see what, what she might take. But um, sometimes rides back to a doctor's appointment or for a procedure, uh, showing up at the house with some food and just kind of being there, but not being, not hovering, not being overbearing just for whatever she needed. And I, I saw that, I think she was surprised that I showed up like that. Like, again, that was her like, Oh, maybe this is a soul that I can still trust. Mm-hmm. And that was after many years that we split. Do you still see each other? What's your contact like now? How many years has it been? Uh, 12, 13. 13, 13 years, years post-divorce. Yes. Still have contact? Yes. And if you were really in a pinch or if she were really in a pinch, do you know in your heart you could call each other and you would be there? Yeah, I could. I could definitely count on her and... I think she knows the same. Mm-hmm. Which at the end of the day, isn't that just what the world needs more of? Just knowing there's people we can count on, people who have loved us, who still feel a piece of love. I often hear folks who have come through amical divorce that there is still part of their heart that will forever feel an affinity and a connection to a person that you were so deeply invested with. I think you were saying it would just seem so bizarre to have had this deep, rich journey together and then just amputate. It's always a decision tree for things. And this is you go one way or the other. Are you Mm -hmm. going to keep contact with the person or are you going to when you unhitch the wagon, everything, that's it. You don't want to see them anymore. You don't, you don't want to interact. And it's one way or the other. I, I had no reason to say, I don't want to see you again. I don't want to talk to you again. I, I guess it's just not my nature. Yeah, a reinvention of that relationship. And we're not subscribing that everybody... <clears throat> 
needs to even maintain friendship. You know, my pursuit is, can we just carry kindness, just kindness, whether that's externally or just internally in our heart and how that broadcasts through our community, through our previous relationships. As we think about our listeners out there, is there something, a word of of wisdom or something that you know now that you wish you had known along the way that we could pass on to others? I think um, stepping back, (laughs) holding your tongue, reassessing Mm. when you're in the heat and the pain of detaching and maybe even shortly after it's, it's good to count to 10. Everything you're thinking doesn't have to come out of your mouth because I think so much damage and hurt gets done, which is going to be the catalyst for further separation or not finding a reason that you would want to even hang out with that person or be in Mm -hmm. touch with them. When I begin working with couples or individuals in the divorce process, one of our agreements is do no more harm, (laughs) which means every text message, every email, every story that you tell in your community that we pause and think, could my words, could my actions do harm to this person, to this past that we have, certainly if we're sharing children to their future. And it's a really powerful mantra to just recognize, as you put it so simply, not everything in your head needs to come out your mouth and to be thoughtful of where it is, because there are times when we need to absolutely be angry, frustrated, have hurt, And finding the right environment and the right outlet to express that, where it can be witnessed, where it can be uh, contained and held without doing harm to the person that we might feel that we need to direct all of that hatred towards or pain or grief. So here you are, same-sex marriage is legal in all 50 states. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, it has been signed into federal law recently by President Biden. So what does that mean for you? Any interest in marriage? What happened? What's what's the afterglow? Oh, the good part of the story, the happiest part. Um, So I uh, fell in love again uh, around... 2012, excuse me, and uh, we have been, actually it was before then, we did a union in 2012, 2011. Say a little more about what union means. The words, yes, okay. And what that was at that time. Mm -hmm. The years all rolled together. Um, So we went out in the beautiful, great uh, chapel of nature and did a union because same-sex marriage was not recognized here as legal. And so that's what we pick as our, you know, it was 12 years ago um, of our marriage that was a spiritual Mm -hmm. um, celebration. And then, then you also had a public celebration. <clears throat> this marriage is very different than your last one. It is, yes. How we, so? Uh, later that month, we had a big, I guess you'd call it traditional celebration. And we had uh, the music and the party and the food. And we had lots of people come. Uh, my family came from back east and we celebrated our union. Was there an ice sculpture? Was there a DJ? There was. There was an ice sculpture and a DJ. <laughs> that and is a flower totally girl. legit. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. So really celebrating this new love to a woman, we might yes. add. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we then, when it became legal, that was six years ago, so about six years later, uh, we went down to the courthouse with our flower girl and, and made it official and signed the paper. And that was a quieter celebration, but 
but a great celebration for the two of us. Mm-hmm. And does the legal component mm-hmm. change things? Does it change how you even think about the permanence of this marriage? If a divorce ever entered your mind and the complexity, because we all know it is really quite easy to get married in America. You show up, there's some paperwork, you sign, you kiss, you say, I do. And getting divorced legally is a long, often complex legal journey. So I'm just curious, what feels different for you, if anything? Well, this was not the two two dates and a U-Haul. I was very sure that this, in my mind and heart, this is my last. And that's what I've worked towards. Um, We we joke a lot that, hey, now that we have the right to be married, we we can also go through the official divorce process. Um, which is happening for a lot of same-sex marriages. Right. We're coming around the cycle now. You yeah, fight for yeah. marriage. It's the leading <laughs> cause of divorce. Did no one tell you this? <laughs> so I think had I not been certain, there's I would definitely not have done a, an official lawful marriage. And it was really a great feeling because it was part of me professing my love for my partner to want to do that, that like, here's the paperwork. I mean it. And mm-hmm. um, this is her first marriage um, or, you know, long-term partnership. And uh, so we've, we've had a lot of fun with it and made a big deal about our celebrating that. Yes. It's my understanding. You have lots of anniversaries, first kiss anniversaries, <laughs> union anniversaries, mm-hmm. wedding reception anniversaries, legal day anniversaries, a year of celebration of love is just yeah. beautiful. And reminding all of our listeners that love comes in every shape and size and gender and in ways that we can't even know. And I'm So grateful to you, Lynn, for sharing your story today, your long journey in the closet, out of the closet, being a pioneer of love, being a pioneer of same-sex relationships, of honoring your partners, but also honoring your story and having the courage to share it with others so that they also can not only find their love, but also find kindness and compassion, even when the relationship comes to an end. Thank you, Karen. Keep your sense of humor. (laughs) It is one of the golden tools as we walk the journey of challenges. Thank you so much to my guest today, Lynn Compton, and to all of you for tuning in here at the Good Divorce Show. And remember, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.